0: when you wake up to, I'm being oppressed, I'm being suppressed, the natural outgrowth of that is depressed. Mm. So many people want to treat the depression, but they don't want to treat what's causing the oppression and suppression.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. Today, we're talking about dealing with anger with Sherry Burton. Of kids welcome back dear listeners so glad you are here listen if you haven't done so yet sub- hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and if you enjoy the mindful mama podcast help it grow do me a favor please go over to apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review it takes about 10 seconds just helps the podcast grow more and it makes such a big difference i appreciate it so so much in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Sherry Burton. She is a mother of six. She is an author. She is an international business owner, feminine leadership coach, and host of the Women Seeking Wholeness podcast. And we have a far-reaching and compelling conversation about women and anger and mothers. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you were you taught to be a good girl who didn't rock the boat? Many women have been taught that to, you know, we have to be peacemakers, that we need to push down our normal feelings of anger. Yet, you know, we live in an unequal world. We're not valued fully, and that leaves many of us with kind of a righteous anger. And it's all suppressed, and that can lead to mental and physical health issues. So, we're really talking about all these different issues with women and anger don't shy away from this episode is so powerful and sherry is speaks about these things so beautifully and so compassionately and i want you to listen for some important takeaways that you should not judge your feelings you should listen for that perfectionism is a diminishment of your personal power and how we need to feel our difficult feelings in order to heal them so such a truth that we need to come back to again and again and again before we dive in i want to let you know that we are i'm holding a mindful parenting free training on september 7th through 12th 2022 it's a free live training with me we'll be doing i'll be doing teachings and giveaways and q and as and we'll be you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you how to stop yelling what our kids really need, and three myths that keep you from being the parent you want to be, and it's all free. You can sign up, sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com free training, and I can't wait to see you there. And now join me at the table as I talk to Sherry Burton. I had so much fun talking to you for your wonderful podcast Women Seeking Wholeness that I had to have you back on and we happened to share some moments with uh this idea of anger, right? And like our and and aggression. I shared with you my my paintings of my ferocious oh. beast women. Amazing. <laughs> and you had some thoughts about anger which I was like excited to talk to you about so the that is that dear listener is the reason why Sher- and I <laughs> are, are here today because well,
0: like you were one of my favorite guests i just thought we like we're just like boom boom, boom bam bam like, i feel like i get you <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why I shared my paintings with you. I don't, I'm don't, not like everybody like, here, look at this. <laughs> um, but you, uh, so first, I just want people to know you a little bit, a bit, a little bit about you. And you have like an amazing story with so many twists and turns and plot leaps that there's a lot there but you tell us about why you created the podcast women seeking wholeness I think that might be a good place to start
0: yeah so I got I I, well I thought it would like be a journalist someday (laughs) like I I thought that was a career path I wanted to explore but I loved psychology more so I actually chose psychology but I I'm a Gemini moon which may not mean anything to the vast majority of your listeners (laughs) but it's going uh... right over my head So I lo- I didn't know. I know. I didn't put it together until two years ago. Oh, it's because I'm a Gemini moon. But anyway, I just love to talk. And it so happened that in late 2018, I hit a major, the only thing that I can say is I started questioning everything in my life. And uh, so for my fifth, I started it on, right after my 50th birthday in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, if I don't get this out I'm going to implode. If I don't talk and therapize, like if I don't, if I can't bounce what I'm feeling off of, you know, these amazing people that I, that I hunted down to interview, if I can't do that, I'm not, I'm going to be really sick. So that's just my way. And I love, I've been a public speaker and all those things and run a business and spoken on stages. So I don't have a fear of just talking. It's the way that I, move energy through my body. So a podcast just felt like, well, I might as well take everybody along with, you know, with me on this journey of not knowing and and questioning and crisis and trauma release.
1: Mm -hmm. And you, you write, you write about that. It was like the, the, the sort of normal channels of healing, they weren't working for you and your family that you exactly. that it wasn't actually bringing you the release the healing and the stuff that you needed.
0: Yeah, it was actually creating more harm and more and, and more complex trauma. So, we kind of all awakened together as a family like my older children that are in their 20s. We kind of all just awaken together to that was my husband coming through the door. He has no <laughs> idea on the podcast. Um just like, hey, what is really happening here? Why why are we not healing certain things? Why are we not really breaking these family patterns? And and, and how do we feel? I raised my kids to be truth seekers, and they are ultimately the ones who, who brought inquiry into my space of, what about this, mom? And what about this that you raised me and taught me? And what about this? And at first I had that resistance and that cognitive dissonance. And then finally I was just like, you know what? i'm just going to deeply listen and it was that that was just bringing me inside it's like wow how does that feel in me how and then i began my own very private wrestle <laughs> um, if people just saw me in public or listened to my podcast or and then my husband and i were separating it was a whole thing 20 you know after 25 years of marriage and and it was like I held it together just enough to run my business, take care of my kids. It was really messy. But if you were to just see me, this is why everything you see online is like, right? Because Mm -hmm. I probably looked like I had a measure of myself put together. (laughs) And I did the bare minimums. The rest of the time, I was in the deep void of that inquiry process and surrendering and, um, it was super powerful, but it was dark. It was, it was hard. Um, but also necessary because, you know, that descent process, I believe is a rite of passage into your soul path. Mm -hmm. Um, most people will not question their programming. You could say their indoctrination on, Mm -hmm. not just in a religious context, but in multiple arenas, and uh, I decided. I, I mean, I'm a youngie and psychologist. You know, that's how I lean. And it's like, oh, gee, Carl Jung really knew that you have to go into the shadows in order to really, really know who you are. And uh, that was uber painful, like suffering level questioning and gut, like, who am I? And none of us actually am, am I. Oh, yeah. Midlife crisis, I don't know what you want to call it.
1: (laughs) No, no, I feel you. I mean, I have thoughts about that now. Like, I'm 44, and I have thoughts about that that are completely... But I love the... I mean, that idea. I mean, for me, that brings up, you know, that descent. You, You mentioned that. Like, for me, that brings up the idea of, like, no mud, no lotus. And we're so, you know, which is what... My teacher Tignahan says, "No mud, no lotus," and that's so such a powerful thing, right? Like, like you need that muck, you need the the poop, the rotten <laughs> vegetables, and all that well, and stuff, the, like just, for the flower just to the bloom, caterpillar
0: soup, right? For the butterfly to metamorphosize.
1: Mm, mm-hmm, yeah,
0: it's the same yeah. concept.
1: Yeah, but we naturally uh, avoid that. We don't. We don't want that, right? And. And we, you know, and you mentioned also questioning our programming. I mean, that's all. It's all like scary stuff. And we're just like we're told, like keep busy. You know, <laughs> it'll
0: all work out. God'll work it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you, so you were raised Mormon, right? You're, you write that you were a seventh generation, seventh generation, seventh
0: or eighth. I need to go back and look at my genealogy, but let's just say the very, very beginnings. Some of my ancestors were one. One particular ancestor was friends with Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Yes, the prophet. Wow,
1: wow, wow! So your family was very deeply involved, embedded, and et cetera. And that produced some trauma that you had to heal from. I imagine.
0: Well, I mean, in I'm some ways, or are you are yeah,
1: you are it's... you still? I mean, I'm making a huge assumption there, no. which I apologize for. But like,
0: yeah. I, I, you know, are you are you still Mormon? So you cannot take the Mormon out of me. It would be just like telling somebody who was raised Orthodox Jew, like, you're you're not Jewish. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Level it's like a of, cultural. Like, familial, yeah,
0: exactly. Embedded. And I live in Utah and my, a lot of my family members. So so I, I haven't, like, left the church because that's a phraseology that's just passed around. Like, have left the church? And a mm-hmm. lot of people are just like, where's she? where is she at? And I don't like to put myself in a box of being in or out or this or that. But I will say that, you know, part of what put me in fetal position when I was, Mm -hmm. you know, turning 50 and that whole time was this, um, you know, researching and asking and questioning everything that my first seven years, your first seven years of life, you're highly programmable. Mm -hmm. Most adults, most young adults. Well, I just say by age 30, all you are is walking around with programs and patterns that you've been handed. Mm -hmm. So it isn't until later in life that you actually go, wait, I'm not, all this dissonance is happening in you. And for me, it was, I love the church. I love the people. I love how I was raised in certain aspects of it. You know, Mormons aren't supposed to drink or. Even, but there's weird things like don't drink coffee and tea. But like You don't question that either because it came from the prophet. You know, there's just a lot that... But for me, the smoking gun, from the time I was a little girl and I heard the word polygamy. Mm-hmm. So early Mormon prophets and priesthood holder men, they practiced polygamy, which is, you know, marrying more than one woman. Not only did they marry more than one, like dozens. So Joseph Smith had it's estimated over 30 wives, Brigham Young, the next prophet, over 55 wives. And uh, it just never sat right with me. It In my feminine body, as a mm-hmm. nine-year-old, I remember, I have a distinct memory of being told about it. And I felt sick. I felt like somebody punched me and that never left me. And I kept being told God will work it out. That's why I was referencing that before. But Mm-hmm. Like I, I just try to accept it on faith because, you know, I love the church and I love the things and the people and the tribe and the community. And there's so many beautiful things. That was just one huge smoking gun and red flag that I could never reconcile within myself that I was always asking God and, and going and, and feeling really diminished as a woman. Yeah. I in guess my eternal identity that just never made sense.
1: Yeah. If you're one of like, if you're, you know, you're the idea that all these people in your culture hold you as like one of many that can be almost like interchangeable or something, you know, like this, a sense of right. like, I guess just your essential importance in some ways, you know what I mean? Like that's diminished, right? Like, and then the man's sure. role is like the, of, of importance is really held up. Like, obviously like the men are yeah. in first place, the He's women the are in second, figure. third, fourth, and fifth. 50th place
0: (laughs) yes well it's like here's this priesthood man or this prophet and he is the central eternal figure and all of the women evolve you know revolve like planets around this central figure and they're silent and they don't have authority at least in in, in ministerial offices or priesthood you know the the ability let's just say to heal or anything official to act Mm -hmm. in the name of god women do not have the authority to do that Mm-hmm. so a lot of women in Utah, let's just say, and a lot of Mormon women, they they want that. They they want to have some power. They want to heal and help people, but because they aren't able to do that at church necessarily, I mean, we, you can hold positions and te- as a teacher, but you never lead men. You never lead men. Mm-hmm. You only yeah. lead other women and children, and even then, a priesthood holder presides over you as you do so, even in the home, so for me, it was like I, can, I started to see like in the late 90s, early 2000s in Utah where I live, a lot of LDS or Mormon women would go out and learn healing arts like Reiki or EFT or just all these things so that they could feel that they had something <laughs> hands-on, if you will, a modality that would give them the ability and the, the fulfillment, if you will, and the purpose that they wanted to fulfill to help humanity Um Mormon theology is very, very specific in its handbooks of administration that only male priesthood holders have, and I think they even said medical doctors, the, the right to heal someone that it should only be a male priesthood holder that has the authority. And it's like, well, there's billions of people on the earth. And there's probably only, I don't know, I'm guessing conservatively, maybe half a million active righteous Melchizedek priesthood holding men in the Mormon church because their numbers are dwindling a bit. Um, That have, how are, how is that going to, how are we going to yeah. heal the world?
1: <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that's, that's logically impossible. But I'm, I would, I would find that, I would find that infuriating. I mean, I, Yeah. I mean, I guess for myself, like, like,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I was mad. I'm a feisty person, but I'm also a nice, soft person. And so I would just smile Mm -hmm. and inside Mm -hmm. I'm like seething, right? Mm -hmm. Um, all these health issues started to develop and I could see the injustice Mm -hmm. because I run (laughs) retreat, (laughs) read, I run retreats for women. I have for many years and I could see these women coming to me who are super depressed. Uh, Utah leads the nation in antidepressant usage. and I actually lost a sister to suicide. That's a whole other story. Um, in, in 2005, she left behind five children. Oh, At the gosh. time, I didn't put so a lot of these pieces together, but she was very um, espoused and, and deep in the dogma aspects of their religion because of her mental illness. I think she had a hard time you know, seeing herself as worthy, which many of us do anyway, take religion mm-hmm. out of it. We still see ourselves as unworthy. But she, the last two years of her journal, even though she was out really doing all the church things, um, when we got a hold of her journals for two years, she just stopped praying because she didn't feel worthy. And um, she wasn't doing anything major. She did have a painkiller addiction, but she went into treatment for it. And then that's ultimately how she took her life. She, she, she didn't overdose or relapse on her drug addiction, her prescription drug addiction. She took a drug that was managed uh, used to manage her bipolar called Seroquel, and she overdosed on that. Um, so part of my unraveling, to be honest with you, Hunter, and my questioning of my deep grief, unprocessed grief around these kinds of things, because I also lost an aunt to suicide. With my sister Shauna, it was like, Oh my goodness, how many other women? My sister is like the poster child of like the, the extreme end of the spectrum of this. But how many other w Mormon women? And I know this because I self-published a book, I talked to Utah sociologist. I was on the board of NAMI. I was on the state suicide prevention council, the attorney, uh, Utah attorney general asked me to be on it. Like I could see it that all of this perfectionism, unworthiness cycle, Mm -hmm. um, women not allowed to be angry or advocate for their own rights and authority. I could see how that diminishment of personal power was contributing to depression. And I didn't dare, like I, I may have written it in my journal, but I didn't dare outwardly speak of it because I wanted to stay faithful. I wanted to stay, I love, I'm a devote by nature, I'm a very devoted person to God. But I also know, you know, what kind of woke me up to the fierceness of my feminine power with this is when I attached to learning about the divine feminine, mother, mother God, goddess history that has been excised from Christian theology the Gnostic text, Mary Magdalene. Um, these are the things that were contributors to my contributors to my awakening.
1: Mm. And I could
0: see how this was completely absent in my church of origin, as it is in most. Yeah. As it is in most. And it just gave rise to this. Like, again, like I told you, why'd you start your podcast? Well, I would implode. I would have like, like, I, I had to talk about these things. In a respectful way, albeit, sometimes what comes out of me does not sound very conscious. But I'm not about fighting from a place of unwarranted anger because fighting doesn't change anything. Inviting and collaborating, is that's what's going to lead to our evolution.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And opening up these stories and the awareness of like this, these policies or these, you know, these habits, these traditions, they have effects, right? Like they have consequences. They have incredibly hard consequences in in people's lives. That's heartbreaking. It's so interesting, Cherry, because I was like brought up in this, such a different upbringing, like agnostic, like my, my hippie parents were super irreverent, Like I was like little punky Brewster kid, you know, just like full of my own empowerment, you know. And and it's something I've really discovered as you know, just just kind of. I think for me, it was like kind of a shock to realize, like, oh, the world is not like this. Like women aren't equal in the world. (laughs) Like this, like what I thought things were is not what they were, and it was this kind of shock to me and to see how many women, how many women I encounter all the time who, who have that deep, that deep thread of feeling unworthy that for my parents, you know, they, you know, they've got, they've got incredible like good seeds they passed on and and some incredible flaws they passed on as because they're human you know and and sometimes I I just want to say this to the listener because sometimes I talk about my father's anger and and how that was passed on to me but I want to say he also passed on to me this deep sense of like you know, of empowerment. <laughs> At least when I was little, yeah. he he kind of pushed back against that empowerment as it came out as a teenager. But <laughs> a deep sense of empowerment and and seeing that so many in the world don't have this. Oh, I'm so sorry about your sister. I'm oh, I'm so you. sorry about that suffering, and that that because I, you knew her her value you know what I mean like if you could have only given that oh, sense yeah. of her value and you know if you could just give that she to did, somebody it was else wall
0: I couldn't get in fact to me, a... this is crazy but yesterday I found a letter that I wrote to her six months before she took her life begging oh. her oh. to stay telling her how much she was loved, like how talented she was super talented musically, everything, super loving. Um, and that was really, and I called my mom and read it to her over the phone. And cause it's been, you know, I don't know how many or 17 years, it has been a while, but it's still hard. It still hurts. She's only two years younger than me. Our kids were best friends. Like they still are. Like it's very, um, jolting to me that, you know, I can't just pick up the phone and call her, that, even after 17 years, you know, and I, she had a very larger than life personality, and to be honest, I feel like she's urging me, because I am writing a book about my experiences, and my, it's kind of memoir-based, and about how I awakened to, specifically, the Magdalene, um, which is a whole archetype. She was a historical figure, but she's also an archetype for our day which is divine co-creation, male-female, balanced, egalitarian um, leadership and authority. And so I feel like she would be all over this, right? My sister. It's what she needed to become empowered within our faith construct that was not there. And so I feel her urging me on. I feel her riding with me sometimes. And... And it's um, ugh, it's been so, like, writing this has been, <laughs> uh, I can't even, like, it's been so therapeutic for me. And it's also been probably the hardest thing because I'm climbing right back in mm. to the trauma and the questions and living into the, the mystery of things. And um, hopefully when I get this done, it will feel like a love letter to the world via the lens also of my sister, what she would say now.
1: Hmm. Wow. I think that's very brave. Thank you. So this is all like ties in because like as women, like as you mentioned, like your upbringing, right? Like we were, were, or at least you were, I was encouraged to be feisty. And, he, you know, most of us were encouraged to be peacekeepers right to stay silent to be good to be kind to be you know not to be gentle and I get you know and and I get that enormously because that idea for me like we mentioned the beginning like the the paintings that I'll have to put one in the show notes dear listener but um, they're just the idea of like aggression and anger that I dealt with is so so frowned upon in our society, right. That it was like, I had to paint my, my own therapy for this for like six years. Right. And, and to explore this, to like, uh, get to a place of in some ways acceptance of this, but, but this, but you write about this anger is like, like a real righteous anger. Talk to me about this idea that we are not supposed to feel our anger and what this does to us.
0: Yeah. it's one of my favorite things. Um, so there's a phrase, righteous indignation, which I don't even really love the, the term righteous, Mm. but all that really means to me now is warranted. Mm -hmm. So like Christ, when he changed over the, you know, there were money changers in front of the temple and it says in the new Testament that he, he basically got really ticked off and he, and he threw over the, you don't think of Christ, you, you know, the pictures of jesus are all like he's very docile and like powerful but not that powerful or mad that he would do but he was making a statement flipping those tables over and then he said and he spoke out make not my father's house a house of merchandise well now i'm like make not my mother's house Hmm. you know a house of merchandise and it's the it's this idea that um and i You know, I've spoken about this at length with Sacred Rage, Mm -hmm. uh, where we have been bottling up, penting up these emotions that need to be expressed, and we're not giving ourselves permission until a health crisis hits. Mm. And even then, we're going to the doctor and trying to drug it away or Mm -hmm. mask it. When in fact, it wants to be felt, it wants to be seen, it wants to be acknowledged. So when we're just sitting at church with a happy face, we're not getting to the heart of And I'll just use Mormonism here as a reference mm-hmm. for that. We're not asking the questions of how it feels in our bodies. We're not getting into embodiment practices that allow us to access our own inner wisdom that might conflict with persisting or existing theology. Uh, so sacred rage to me is like, feel it. Mm. Own it. This is what I was saying about the shadow work I was doing. I finally gave myself permission after almost five decades of just bowing my head and basically saying, okay, well, I'll have faith. Mm. It was like my body was like, no, uh, it's not working for you. And uh, I, I had a great upbringing. My parents are amazing. Uh, my mother is the most full of faith person I know. This is a different time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, I'm generation X. My kids are millennials and Gen Zers and and uh, they, they, they get it. They're leading us into this like really um, space of equality, validation, um, uh, tolerance. Yeah. And basically leveling the playing field so that we're all in it together. And hierarchies don't like that. They they don't like that. No. But your bot. So, so to answer your question, this was all brewing in me, and I recognized I had thyroid issues.
1: Mm.
0: I um, had so many like off the like Hashimoto, all these things that I didn't link as pent up emotion and, and anger and. And so as I started to feel these things and I started going into my own incubation, my own cocooning, my own deep inner work, and I did have guides and I did have people helping me, thank goodness, um, who were telling me, you're not crazy, sure, You're not crazy. It's like, you're, this is healthy. I'm like, well, it doesn't feel healthy. And it's like, well, this is what they want you to not do. And this is how they can come back and say, see, you've lost the spirit. You're deceived. Satan's got a hold of you. Um, And that, that is so damaging to someone who's truly honestly questioning to tell them that if they go into their shadows and they feel their feelings, that they're somehow on Satan's team, (laughs) you know, that, that's how black and white it can be for the dogma. So now I just give permission to women, children, and men, because the feminine in men is just as wounded, if not more than the feminine in women. The whole consciousness is suffering with with unexpressed emotion and bottling things up and not expressing healthy anger and not advocating for ourselves in ways that are healthy. So, yeah, so the cost is, you know, you could smile through your whole life and you could be the most pleasant, Christ-like, loving person. And you could never access the pieces of you that could lead to an absolutely powerful awakening to who you actually are with let's just say to use that same um, belief Christ to become at one with Christ means you go into the valley of the shadow of death you merge with your darkness you feel it and yeah you can give some of it over so you don't have to feel all of it but at the same time you you become real (laughs) not fake you become the opposite of fake when you Mm. do this work Mm -hmm. And and so that was a whole revelation to me. When I got on the other side of it, I was like, oh, my word, I feel so much lighter. Mm. I feel like all these burdens were just lifted off my back. I feel clearer. Um, I feel more love than I've ever felt for humanity. I'm not making it us and them anymore. I I can feel all my feelings and not completely judge them. And uh, I can still... Have bad days, but I mean, like, I'm just like, the awareness is there now.
1: You can feel more. Oh my God. I mean, like, that's the whole idea that you're supposed to just put a mask on. You're not supposed to have feelings. It's so crazy to me. Like, you know, I mean, it's just bananas. I mean, if you listen to uh, our episode, dear listener, with Lisa, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, the new neuroscientist, she talks about how the human brain evolved and how we are a, we evolved to be a, a feeling organism and we think we think to help survive and protect ourselves right and to like like we are feeling first and thinking second and and yeah we should there should be a and in an indignation i mean this is fascinating this idea of like pent-up anger leading to health issues because i mean that makes a lot of sense to me i mean maybe not in every case in every health issue dear listener but you know the idea that like your anger is a physical energy in your body it's like a real physical energy it's it's cells moving it's it's yeah, it's, it's, it's it's heat it's it's tension yeah, it's, it's all that covered. stuff right yeah like the tension it's right pro-migenic.
0: and yeah it it's a heated response literally that's why women have evolved to having hot flashes in midlife because we're so pissed off. Oof. It's a collective, That's... like going back to Jungian stuff, like this is mm-hmm. a collective issue. It, even though you weren't raised with religious dogma or you weren't indoctrinated about you're not worthy or whatever to God or whatever that is for, you know, most people raised in varying religions depending on their level of activity. Like you still hold the collective that we're all holding, this, this wounding. And, well, the,
1: the idea of being second place, I mean, it, for any woman anywhere, right? Like, like that you are constantly in second place your whole life is so frustrating. Like that, that idea that you're, you know, you're acting like a girl, like you're, you're too yeah. sensitive, you know, you're, you're bossy rather than have leadership potential, right? You, you you're are shrewd, you're, you're
0: shrill, you're, you're yeah. You're, yeah.
1: Yeah. And in your appearance is the most important thing, right? Like how, I mean, that's deep in all, us, right? That's yeah. deep in so many of us, like that, that idea of, you know, like losing our appearance and growing old and losing our value and all of that stuff. Like, yeah, we should be effing pissed off, <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, I think <laughs> we should.
0: There's, there's well, some that, reasons to be angry. warrior. Yes. And that's where the inner warrior comes out and she's like, okay, like I could stand before any, this is where I'm at right now. Like I could literally Mm. stand before anyone in any kind of hierarchical patriarchy, anything and totally stand in what I know in my body and die for it. Like Mm. it's that level of like knowing in me now, like I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be told what I should or should not believe there are many things that I still espouse that I was raised with religiously, and there's many things that I don't feel right about. I don't see them as healthy policy-wise or doctrine-wise, and I reserve the right It's my birthright as a child of the divine, a child of God, to to be able to do that and to have that direct connection. So historically speaking, and a lot of my research is focused on this, there's always been two camps in the mm-hmm. world. Um of people on the spiritual path. And let's just even say religion. Mm-hmm. There's gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, no, which means knowing. So that's where you get the term Gnostic. And you use the term agnostic. Mm. Means I don't know. Mm-hmm. We put such a negative connotation on it. Like what do you actually like what do we actually know? No, 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 no. Right. So Gnostic though is I know what I know in my body right now. I know how I'm connected to my creator. I know that I have that right. Whereas the Orthodox is on the other camp going, well, no, there's a system to this. There are rules. You have to go through these other leaders and you have to do these rituals and you have to, and then maybe you might know, then maybe you might have, you know, companionship of God's spirit with you, however you want to call it. Then you might be worthy if you do all these things we tell you to do and you You pay tithes and you do all kinds of offerings and and everything. Like um, in Mormonism, it's considered like a high, what they call a high demand religion, which means we pay tithes. We devote, you know, we covenant actually in in sacred places to give everything, just about everything, to the building up of of this. Wait, you used the the word church.
1: We yeah. covenant, as in we covenant as a verb, and that's not like in my everyday vocabulary. I mean, it, I understand, but can you define promise. it for? Yeah. I have, promise. I have some, I have some question marks. So I'm sure there's a listener who does too. You promise, okay? Yeah.
0: So it's just that they call it like a covenant path, and I understand it's yeah, yeah. sacred, mm-hmm. from the time you're born all the way until you die, there's certain covenants and, and rituals you do, and I don't want to dismiss this for anyone that's on this path. I'm just saying. Some of it I I I, I held as sacred and took with me as beautiful, mm-hmm. and some of it I realized was very compulsory. Um, it was uninformed consent. I didn't know what I was really getting into. I was so young. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the first seven years of my life, I was everything was laid out for me, right? And uh, it was like choose. It's like the equivalent of choosing your lifelong career by age seven, as you prepare to get baptized at age eight because that's part of the path. That's part of the covenant path to always do these things. And you keep affirming it every week through ordinance of sacrament. And so I I, I went and I, I asked mother, I asked my higher self, I asked God, help me go deeper with what's the higher way for me to be of service and to be of devotion without all the exteriors and the outwards. And I was taken right to that place in the New Testament where Christ said, The kingdom of God is within you. It doesn't come by observation. It's not out here. It's not something you can look at. It's not through a a person, place, or thing, or a system, or an institution, or a set of ideologies. It's within you. The kingdom of God is in you. And I call it the queendom now, but all of that just came together for me as these deep wisdom teachings of gnosis. Christ was teaching wisdom teachings. He wasn't teaching the prevailing religious philosophies of his time. He he was born into it, but he went out in the wilderness and did his thing and taught, you know, out to the people of every you know, everyone. And so for me it's like, yeah, I wanna do that. I reserve mm-hmm. the right to do that.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I appreciate that. I mean I and from what I I'm not no religious scholar, but from what I, what I understand you know, I mean, all the various churches of the world, right? Like the various forms of Christianity and et cetera, like have, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ritual. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of like, uh, institution. Right. And from what I've read from the teachings of Jesus like it's not it's it's kind of in a lot of ways anti-institutional <laughs> it's like feed the poor oh, and true. he was also teaching to women and you're right you, you talked about like the Magdalene archetype for our day and that was that was something I remember learning at some point years ago that like yeah actually there was a the this was you know embedded in a, a patriarchal culture right like a lot of the great religions of the world are embedded in a patriarchal culture and so there's this teasing apart we have to understand and, and see, like how how these these cultures suppress women. But there's like these there are these beautiful wisdom pieces embedded, but embedded in the the passed down with the wisdom is all this like patriarchal suppression and culture. And so imagine that teasing that apart for yourself was a fascinating and rewarding and incredibly interesting journey. And, and I imagine you got some pushback. I imagine you got yeah. some pushback in your culture. That,
0: yeah. The the hardest part is like disappointing my parents, you know. Um and I you know, I was raised with even though she maybe wouldn't identify as a feminist, my mother is definitely a feminist. She's always advocated for us to go out in the world and do things and not just be the typical like subservient housewife, if you will, or whatever. It was like, I can't wait to see what you guys create. I have, you know, three sisters and three brothers. And, uh, yeah. So really for me, it was unplugging from people pleasing because as women, that's mm. what we are trained to do because we care so much. There's a whole matrix of unplugging from that. That is full of actual pain <laughs> to, oh. And I'm still, it's, it's still a process for me, you know, like in saying that I'm not trying to people please, that doesn't mean that I don't want to serve people and help them and Mm -hmm. love them, but there can be this shadow aspect to that where it's like, I will put myself second. Like you mentioned, I will continuously put myself second and second and second and second until my soul is like, girl, like, this is not good for you, (laughs) you know, wake up. So I know that there's a whole movement in Christianity of like being second to God. So I don't want to undermine that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I believe the divine wants us to be in full partnership in shared authority. It's like Christ was trying to teach that, you know, better things that I've done. You can do kind of thing. Like, I want you all to do this. I want you all to be you know, who you are. I want you to all recognize you are the I am. Mm. And for some reason, that's so threatening to our establishments to have a lot of people waking up to their own power, to own their voice, to give themselves permission to feel what they feel and question and, um, you know, poke the traditions a little bit. That's so threatening. And that for me was one thing that let me know I was on the right track because if something is true and good and full of light, it should stand up to scrutiny. It should stand up to every question. It shouldn't evade it or shame the mm. questioner. It mm. should embrace and like, let me love you back into here's, the, here's what we know and here's what we don't know versus you're defying doctrine. You're doing this. You're disappointing. You're going down Satan's path, whatever. And I, I'm, I'm in a couple of spaces where I just observe like ex-Mormons. I don't fully participate. I just look at what they're dealing with. And they are all full of, I shouldn't say all that's a huge blanket statement, but the vast majority of them are suffering with this ostracization and shame. And they had to be true to themselves. You had to do what they felt was right in their soul. And you can't, and they can't get through to any of their believing family and friends, and that's creating more and more trauma for them.
1: And I, I don't
0: see this just in Mormonism. Like this is a pervasive issue of disappointing the norm, disrupt, being a disruptor of the way we do things around here, if you will, in family systems, academia, religion, government. When you become, when you wake up and you're like the black sheep, it's usually the black sheep of the family is usually the one who's most awake.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: just might be manifesting it in ways that that aren't accepted at a culture, but. Mm -hmm. usually the black sheep is the one it's like, I don't feel so good here. This is not my jam, but no one listens to them.
1: And it's toxic for them. I mean, I think about like my daughter who's gay and her friends who are, you know, queer and and non-binary and trans and they're, saying like this is toxic to me this culture right like they're the black sheep in a larger culture of saying like this 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 is toxic to yes. me and that's so threatening it's so threatening to the larger culture that change is happening so fast i mean i guess it's so threatening because it's like if you've bought in so to speak you know what i mean like if you're like i'm i i'm submitting to what was said before you know, again and again and again throughout my life, it's that it goes back to that pain you talked about. That pain of being like, oh
0: there's uh, so questioning many harmful uh, policies that have been put in place. And I'll just use the LGBTQ plus I don't know the whole string of acronyms. Yeah. That it's like it's like there's real pain there. Yeah. And it's so dismissive of religious hierarchies and administrations to say, well, God said this and you're doing this, and therefore you can't really be with us. You can attend, but you can't really be a full participant. And you're going to be denied these blessings in the afterlife because you are choosing into this. Um, now we know through critical thinking and you know decades of sociological, ontological, uh, developmental psychology and research that this is the this identity issue is a real thing. It's It's been there all this time throughout history, but nobody's been talking about it. And now they're all coming out like so healthy, I think. And they're just trying to find out who they are. And they're wanting to go to community. They want to be fed. They want to be affirmed. And and they're just not welcome in the doors of the churches unless they absolutely conform to, quote unquote, God's standards. And uh, that was one of the the things for my older children. They're like, that's not like what kind of God would not open the doors to everyone as a full participant? And why do we have these policies in place against LGBTQ? Why, you know, why, 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 why are all these, um, why all this racial disparity in the early, you know, doctrinal formation of the church? Like there's so much there that, that everyone just kind of wants to quiet, like be like us, do what we tell you, give us, you know, tithes and we'll build more buildings and temples and, and we'll, you know, it's like, well, I just keep going back to when Christ said, feed my sheep. Like, who are the sheep? The black sheep are the sheep. All right. So, Shuri,
1: I mean, I love talking to you about this. And I'm going to hopefully beg a few more minutes of your time because we've explored so much here. And I hope that I know, dear, dear listener, you're getting a lot out of this as I am. But so we have to feel it. kind of what I'm getting right like there it comes back to that you feel it to heal it right like we have to feel it to heal it what do we for someone who's like oh yeah you're right I got some rage in me I got some sacred rage in me I've got some righteous indignation for whatever it is in your life any words of where to go with that like where to start what to do
0: yeah, good question. So I'm, I'm I actually had a conversation with a dear friend who went through one of my programs um, about she's just woken up that her marriage is super toxic and her husband's a narcissist and she's been married to him for like 15 years or something like that. And um, that's kind of her same question what you just asked me, right? When you when you wake up to I'm being oppressed, I'm being suppressed. The natural outgrowth of that is depressed. Mm. So many people want to treat the depression, but they don't want to treat what's causing the oppression and suppression. So the first thing I tell people is like, don't judge your feelings. They're very valid. They're very, you know, validating. It's validating Mm -hmm. to bounce them off someone. I had to, to not think that I'm crazy. I had to ground myself into people that I respect who see me for me. Mm -hmm. who don't see me as a conformist, who don't see me as somebody who's just going along with the program as that as my identity, but they truly love me for me, not my choices, not my beliefs, but they love me. So you have to find those people. You can find a therapist like that, or um, an energy facilitator, energy healing facilitator. You can find Communities online who are going to be affirming of your dark, I call it the dark night of soul. I'm not the only one that calls it that, but we're seeing massive amounts of people now. It's almost mass consciousness that we're going to be all going through this dark night of soul. So this is a good time to go through it now <laughs> instead of when it hits pandemonium level, like people being like, we've been lied to, we've been this, we've been that, you know. So attach to people who see you for you, mm-hmm. that you can actually bounce these things off of I had to go to people outside of the bubble that I was raised in, and they were, like, astounded at what I was led to believe as truth. And that was affirming to me, not because they felt like they were heretics (laughs) that were trying to take me off the path, but, like, they just honored me in the questioning of things and the unraveling of my identity that I'd built all these decades And trying to be this perfect, you know, Mormon woman, perfect daughter of God, and so, yeah. So find those people. Listen to podcasts that are doing that for you, and just line up with people who affirm who you actually are.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think that that idea of don't judge your feelings is so huge. Like that. What shuri is saying is loving acceptance right like that's a practice that's a really deep practice like loving acceptance that you can start it can feel weird and uncomfortable and you can start it and find the people who see you and that's that's exactly what we need and don't keep going persistence lots of persistence dear listener
0: yeah
1: shuri obviously we could have like talked for like three hours i think um, <laughs> uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing?
0: Yeah. So if you go to stand, speak, stand, speak, that's, I, I do have com, but standspeakshine.com has like freebies. I have a new wisdom kit for women. It helps them get into stillness, all kinds of um, programs and wherever your needs are, but you can also find my podcast there, women seeking wholeness. So, you know, I'm always, um, I'm always trying to be a resource and a guide, not someone who hands people a set of deliverable things to believe. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen to the questioners. Yes. (laughs) Yes. This, this has been so wonderful and fascinating. Thank you, Cherise, so much for sharing your time and um, for, for sharing your story here. I think that I know that it's going to have some ripple effects that we'll never even know, but, 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 I I appreciate your, your presence so much.
0: Thank you, Hunter. And I appreciate yours as well. Thank you for having me.
1: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Sherry as much as I did. Wow. She is such a powerhouse, so insightful and pretty awesome, right? If you love this episode, please do me a favor: share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor. Let me know your aha's, and don't forget: if you would like to take things further, you can join me at the Mindful Parenting Free Training. It's uh, you can sign up at mindfulparentingcourse.com/free-training. It's free live training with me. It'll be September 7th through 12th, 2022, and you'll be learning why your kids don't listen to you, how to stop yelling what our kids really need, and three myths that keep you from being the parent you want to be. And that was all a totally free training at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. So I hope to see you there. And in the meantime, I hope you have some, some lovely moments this week. I hope you have some some quiet to connect to your own inner voice. I hope you have some beautiful moments of seeing your child or children clearly you know without without all the layers of judgment and labels and I hope you have some fun i hope you have some ease i hope you have peace and rest and all of those good things and i will be back to talk to you again next week thank you thank you so much for listening my friend namaste